Do you ever do you ever find yourself wondering um, what people make of you? Like just thinking, like second guessing, how do these people perceive me? What kind of person do do they think I am? I, I, I'm aware that some of us think about that more than others. Uh, I guess there's some of us in this room who think about that question an awful lot. There's probably some of us who think about it quite a bit less. And I'm also aware that overthinking that, you know, spending all our time thinking about what do people make of those, what does that person think about me, can be deeply unsettling and unhelpful. I, I get all that. But there would be something kind of strange, right, if, if you never thought about that. There'd be something a little bit odd if, it, if you never thought about, I wonder how that person actually views me. I wonder what they actually think about me. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where how you think someone views you turns out to not be how they do view you. I, I, Sarah and I had this, uh, well, I definitely had it, Sarah was present, um, uh, uh, in this experience in Leeds uh, when, I, when I was there. Because when we were at the church in Leeds um, at Redeemer, we uh, led a, uh, a life group down there. And there were, there, were a lot of, there were a lot of students in that church. So our life group had an awful lot of students in it. And Sarah and I uh, were a bit younger then, uh, a little bit more energy. We had, we had those students around a lot. They'd, they'd, they'd spend a lot of time around our house. And we really enjoyed that. We'd, we'd chat to them about church things. We'd chat to them about Jesus. We'd play games with them. We'd, like, there was all sorts of things. It was great having uh, those students in our group. And there were some of them who we got to know quite well and we'd see quite a lot of. Um, but I remember talking to one of them and them saying, oh, you and Sarah, you're a bit like my mum and dad in Leeds. You know, my Leeds version, my mum and dad. And I remember that moment where I was like, all right. <laughs> I thought we were peers. <laughs> you view us as an entirely different generation. Um, it's that moment where you suddenly realise you're not as young as you thought you were. And everybody else doesn't view you as young as you, you think they do. It, it sometimes happens, doesn't it? The way you think people view you is different to how they actually view you. It, 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 it happens to all of us probably at, at some times. Now... I wanted to start with that because one of the things that's so striking about this passage in Mark 2 is that Jesus seems to view this man completely differently to how everyone else does. Like the way he perceives him, the way he thinks about him seems to be so different to everyone else because throughout this passage, the man is only ever referred to in one way. He's referred to as the paralyzed man. In verse 3, the paralyzed man. In verse 5, the paralyzed man. In verse 9, the paralyzed man. Like, that's how he's referred to. That's who he is. Now, why is he referred to like that? Well, because that's what, how everyone views him. That's how you see him. You don't need to know anything about him. You might have never met him before, but as soon as you see him, you're aware of two facts about him. One, he's a man. The second, he's paralyzed. And so that becomes his identity, his defining feature. It's the most obvious thing about him. It doesn't matter if you don't know anything else about him. You know that. And so that becomes who he is. Now, Jesus undoubtedly notices this man's paralysis. He's not blind to it. He can see that the man is paralyzed. And he's going to come on to that later. And there's lots of other truths about the way Jesus views this man. Jesus undoubtedly views this man as someone made in God's image and as such having dignity and worth. That, that's undoubtedly true because that's how Jesus views everyone. But what is striking about how Jesus views this man is that when Jesus looks at him, he sees someone who has a deeper, 
more fundamental problem than his paralysis. When he looks at him, he doesn't say, there is a man who is paralyzed and that's his big problem. He looks at him and he says, this man has another problem that's much more significant than that. You see, that's the, that's the surprising thing about this passage, right? As you read it, uh, there's, you kind of, there might be a few bits that catch you out, but a lot of it is the kind of stuff you've learned to expect as you read about Jesus. But the surprising thing is that when Jesus is presented with a paralyzed man, he completely ignores the fact that he's paralyzed. Because when you meet him, you expect him to say, get up and walk. But instead, he bypasses the paralysis entirely and instead says, son, your sins are forgiven. The good news about this is that when Jesus is confronted by a paralyzed man, he doesn't allow his paralysis to become his entire identity. That, that's the good news. The bad news is that the reason that happens is because Jesus sees in this man a problem even bigger than his paralysis. It's much more important in Jesus' eyes that this man's real issue, this man's sin is dealt with, than his paralysis. Now, now the same is true uh, for us. People are often obsessed by asking that question, how does God view us? Maybe you find yourself thinking a lot about that. How does God view me? What does God think of me? What does God make of me? And in Jesus, we're going to get a whole load of insights to how God views us, what God thinks about when he sees us. So we're going, to, we're going to see that he views us with compassion as he looks at us and sees us as sheep without a shepherd. We're going to see that he views us with love. He views us with kindness. But it's easy to focus on those things and go, oh yeah, this is how God views me. And I overlook the fact that when Jesus sees people, he also sees sinners in need of forgiveness. That, that's also what he sees. Jesus looks at this man and he sees beyond the paralysis to the true issue in this man's life. And he does the same with you. He does the same with you. Now, none of us in this room are paralyzed like this man was. But we all have issues we're facing. And maybe even like this man, you have issues that you face every single day of your life. Maybe for some of you, that is a physical condition like this man. You have an ongoing health issue which you've, maybe you've faced it for many years. Maybe you'll face it for the rest of your life. Maybe it is a physical condition for some of you, but it might not be that. For others of you, it might be depression. Maybe you've battled depression with or without medication for many years, and you long to be free of it, but it never seems to leave for long. Maybe for, maybe for some of you, it's relationship issues difficult families or broken marriages or estranged children or unreasonable parents and you live with that every day of your life wishing the dynamic would just change that you wouldn't be forever plagued by all the drama and the stress and all those things that accompany those broken relationships now now those are real issues they're real issues that some of us in this room will face and yours might be something entirely different to that but we all have them just like this man's paralysis was a real issue for him. It had a huge impact on his life. Of course it did. But the Bible will say that all of those issues are not the biggest issue you face. The biggest issue you face is your sin. That's what the Bible will say. 
It's your sin which separates you from the God who made you and whom you were created to know. It's your sin which saps your energy and leaves you feeling empty and hollow. It's your sin which repeatedly hurts others and damages your relationships with them. It's your sin which leads to destructive behaviours and bad life choices. It's your sin which leaves you guilty and ultimately facing judgment for the harm you've done to God's world. You may not feel that right here today. You might sit there and go, that's not my biggest problem. You might not feel like it is. You might not recognise that sin is your biggest problem. but Jesus does. And Jesus knows that if that isn't dealt with, if that issue isn't dealt with, then all the other solutions are never going to be enough. They're never going to be enough for what you need. And it's crucial you understand that at the start because we all, we all come to Christianity wanting certain things from it. Maybe you were attracted to Christianity because you like the morality it brings. You know, it brings you a sense of right and wrong, a kind of moral compass in a world of so much confusion. You, you've, you tried navigating the world without it, but you couldn't work out how to live, what was right, what was wrong. And you just wanted something to give you some grounding in that. And then maybe that's what attracted you to Christianity. Maybe you were drawn to Christianity because you always longed to be part of a community where you were accepted and loved. Maybe you just found yourself longing for that. And maybe all your life you've been longing for that. Uh, and you, you saw in Christianity a place where people would care for you and be committed to your good. Maybe that was what brought you into Christianity. Maybe what appealed to you about Christianity in the first place was that it engaged with spiritual realities. Maybe you've always had that sense of a divine. And in Christi Christianity, you found a way to know and enjoy God. Maybe that was what first brought you to Christianity. And they are all good things and they are all right desires, but they are not the main thing because the heartbeat of Christianity is the offer of forgiveness to all people. And the blessings of Christianity all rest on us ultimately experiencing that. Access to God, transformation into a loving community, new desires and a new way of life, they all come to us through the forgiveness of sins. If you are trying to experience those things without acknowledging that you are a sinner who needs forgiveness, you'll never truly experience what it means to be a Christian. If you're trying to build a kind of Christian kind of life, a Christian lifestyle, without knowing forgiveness for your sins, you will always ultimately be unsuccessful. Because forgiveness for sins is the heart of Christianity. It's the root to all the blessings that we get from it. And so you see, when Jesus looks at this man, initially it's pretty bad news. Because the bad news for this man was that his situation was much worse than it appeared. When, when, when we look at him, we think, wow, his life must be hard. Imagine being paralysed. Imagine all the hardships he would have had. And that's true. But it turns out that his paralysis was not his biggest problem. And the same is true for us. The bad news for us, for each one of us in this room, is that our situation, our position, is, is much worse than it often appears. We might look respectable. We might look like we've got it all together. Or we might look like a total mess. But however we look, our true situation is much worse. But of course, 
you see that and then you see the good news because the good news is that although our situation is much worse than it might appear Jesus has come specifically to deal with that problem and in this section Jesus shows himself reveals himself to be the one who can actually deal with our sin he does this in two ways the first way that he shows himself to be able to do that is by making it clear that he has the authority that only God has to forgive sins. You see, this is absolutely crucial because forgiveness can only ever be given by the offended party. Let me give you an example. If you, if you punch someone that I, have never, that I don't know and, and have never met and have no interaction with at all, I am not in a position to forgive you for that. I don't know the person. I was not the offended party. I can't say you are forgiven for that because it's nothing to do with me. It's not within my gift to offer you forgiveness for that because it doesn't impact me in the slightest. If you punched Anna, please don't, um, but if you, if you did, then I can forgive you for the hurt that it caused me. So because I know Anna and I love Anna, then a sin against Anna is also a sin against me and I can forgive you for that. But I can't forgive you for the sin against Anna. Only Anna can do that because only the offended person can offer forgiveness for the sin. If you were to punch me, again, that's not, um, then forgiveness for that sin, the sin against me, I can offer forgiveness for that, but I can't offer forgiveness for the way that impacts other people. That's for them to offer or not offer. Forgiveness can only be offered by the offended party. That's how it works. And that means that when it comes to our sin, our rebellion against God and our abuse of the world, then only God is able to forgive us. Like, we can forgive you for the ways those things impact us. So where your sin impacts me, I can forgive, offer you forgiveness for the impact that has on my life. But only God can forgive you for your rejection of him and for your misuse of, misuse of the world that he made because your crime is against him. And it's only the offended person who can offer forgiveness. This is why when Jesus offers to forgive sins, the Jewish leaders ask, who does he think he is? Because he can only offer that forgiveness if he's the offended party. They know that our sin is fundamentally always against God and therefore forgiveness can ultimately only be offered by God. And so they know they are completely clear what Jesus is claiming here. There is no doubt. Jesus is claiming the authority of God to forgive sins. And they don't like it. But although they don't like it, it's actually good news for us, right? Because... If Jesus was not God, he couldn't offer us forgiveness but because, because it's not for him to grant it. But because he is God, come to earth as a person. He is the only human being ever who can truly say your sins are forgiven and actually have the power to grant it. Actually have the authority to grant that forgiveness. So that's the first thing Jesus does to make it clear that he can genuinely offer forgiveness for sins. He claimed to be God with the power to forgive sins. But he didn't only claim it, he also demonstrated why we should believe that it was within his power. Because people start questioning, does he have the authority to do this? And so what does he say in verse 10? He says, I want you to know that the Son of Man himself has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up, took his mat and walked home. He's very clear what the point of this healing is. The healing is designed to show that he's not just making unverifiable claims. 
That's the point of the healing. Anyone can say your sins are forgiven and there is no test that you can do to know whether those words were effective or not. You just can't test them. So there's no test you can give to that. There's no way you can verify whether those words have actually achieved it or not. But to say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk, well, you very quickly know whether those words were effective or not. Does he get up and walk? And so Jesus' physical healings are there to demonstrate the reality of the spiritual healing that he came to bring through the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. If the bad news is that our situation is worse than we may have imagined, the good news is that Jesus offers the solution to that problem. I've said this before in Grace Church, and I I will say it many times again because I, I, I pretty much can't say it enough. If you, as you're sat here today, if you are not a sinner in need of forgiveness, you will have no interest in what Jesus came to do. If you don't need forgiveness, you will be like the Pharisees and slightly irritated that Jesus keeps offering forgiveness and calling people to repentance. You'll think, who does Jesus think he is telling me that I need to be forgiven and offering to forgive me? You'll you'll think like the Pharisees did. I have my morality, I have my community, I have my lifestyle. What do I need Jesus for? Like, what's Jesus bringing into this? But if you recognize, if you believe you are a sinner, you are guilty of failing to love God and failing to love others, and that that leaves you separated from God, incapable of being the person God created you to be, and ultimately facing God's judgment, then, then what Jesus came to do is of immeasurable value. It's the greatest possible thing that anyone could do for you because it's the solution to our most fundamental problem. It's the solution which can offer you hope in the face of all of the other problems you face. So here's a question, and only you can answer it. Who who are you? Who who are you? If you are sat here today and you are perfect, you have never failed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You've always loved other people. You've never hurt or neglected another human being. Well, then it's all gravy. You You don't need Jesus and you'll be fine. But if you're like me and you're aware that even today you have failed to love other people, even today you have at times ignored or marginalized God in your life, Maybe even right now, as we're sat here, you are filled with anger or envy or malice. Maybe even now you are fighting to ignore God, to silence him, to not listen to him. If that's you, well, then you need Jesus. Your only hope is actually Jesus because your only hope is forgiveness because forgiveness is the only thing that has the power to deal with guilt and sin. There is nothing else. And only Jesus is in a position to offer that. So if our problem is sin, and if the solution is the forgiveness Jesus offers, then the obvious question is, well, how do I get that? How do I access that? What do we need to do to receive that forgiveness? If our problem is sin, Jesus' solution, how do we receive it? And the answer is clearly shown in this passage and actually clearly shown again and again in Mark. In verse 5, we are told that when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the paralyzed man and his friends who had lowered him through the roof, 
He said, son, your sins are forgiven. These people received the forgiveness which Jesus had come to bring because of their faith. It was their faith which led them to carry this man to the house where Jesus was. It was their faith which led them not to give up when it was full. It was their faith that led them to believe that Jesus could bring the forgiveness he offered. And it was their faith which led the man to get up when Jesus called him to. You see, their faith leads them to pursue Jesus. And as they pursue Jesus, they find him. And as they find him, they find the forgiveness he offers. But the same is true for us today. Jesus has come to bring forgiveness. And that forgiveness is freely available for all people. But we access it by faith. That's how we receive it. That's how we accept it. It's as we believe that Jesus can do this, as we come to him with all of our problems, as we hear him say, your sins are forgiven us, and as we believe that when he says that, that our sins actually are forgiven, then we experience the forgiveness he came to bring. If the paralyzed man had not believed Jesus had the power to work in his life, if he'd never gone to the house, if he'd given up once he saw that it was full, he would never have heard Jesus calling him son. He wouldn't have heard Jesus declaring that his sins are forgiven. He wouldn't have heard Jesus telling him to pick up his mat as the strength flowed through his legs. Again and again, we're going to see this in Mark. Jesus does the work. He brings salvation. He brings healing. He brings forgiveness. But we access it by faith. This is the question I guess I want to end with. Like, do, do we, do you have faith in Jesus? Do you believe that he has the power to deal with the problems you are facing? Do you believe he is who he said he was, God come to earth? Do you believe that he truly can forgive our sins, however terrible we feel about them? Do you believe that when you confess your sins to him, he will forgive you? And if you do, if, that, if you're sitting there going, yeah, I believe that, I have that kind of faith, then, then do you have the kind of faith that these men had? The kind of faith which says the most important thing for me is to go where Jesus is, to hear him speak, to talk to him in prayer, to experience him through his people. The kind of faith which refuses to be prevented from doing this, which doesn't allow inconveniences or distraction or even roofs to prevent us from coming to him. The kind of faith which listens to him and does what he says. If Jesus truly is the only one who can deal with our deepest problems, then coming to him is the single most important thing you can do with your life. You see, here, here in this story of this paralyzed man, we get this glimpse of our problems. The problem as Jesus sees it, not maybe as we see it, but as Jesus looks at us, what he sees as our deepest problem. We get an insight into Jesus' ability to deal with this problem, his, his free offer of forgiveness that he has absolute authority to grant. And we get a picture of the kind of faith that brings people to Jesus and causes them to accept the forgiveness he offers.